think that's all. My heart is full this morning, <clears throat> so <clears throat> and my my phlegm is too, and so <laughs> it is. Um, I got back late, late last night from, uh, we, we had a weekend leadership retreat for the church, and, and uh, it, it was a really great time, really awesome. We, we were up at, uh, in uh, Tahoe City and, and just had a fantastic uh, time together, really just bonding and dreaming about the future and uh, figuring out how we could possibly become uh, better as a church. And I know you're thinking, how is that even possible? But uh, <laughs> I'm just teasing. Uh, there's lots of ways, actually. We got a whole list. Um, and so, but my heart really is full because I, I and, and, and it, it's just full to overflowing after worshiping with you all this morning because uh, I just feel so blessed um, that, I, that I get to be a living hoper. I, I, I feel so blessed that, I, that, that we get to have this experience as a church. Um, I was sharing with the, um, the group up there this weekend, and, and I don't know if I don't know if I've shared this or not, but or if you even know it, but I, I, the statistic is that 88% of all churches in America will never pass the uh, 200 mark, and um, and and God continues to bless us with growth, and and uh, and we're not a huge church by any stretch of the imagination, but but we're a growing church, and more importantly, I feel like we're a healthy church. We're a church that that loves Jesus and keeps it all about Jesus and. And uh, you're not going to find a lot of drama and political backstabbing and stuff like that going on here. It's, it's, a, it's a beautiful congregation, and, and, and that's due in large part to you all, that you're a group of people that get it, and, and to the way our church is led by its elders and staff that they provide a, they provide a fertile soil for that kind of health to take place. And um, I just feel, I feel really blessed. I feel blessed that I have a couple of girls whose only knowledge of church is this one. And because um, and, uh, if you're like me, you've, you've been a part of some churches that you wish you could erase from your memory. Uh, but I, I'm, so, I'm so glad that, that, that they get this experience and that that will be the bar in their life that is set for what a church should look like. And... Um, and so thank you. Thank you all for, uh, for allowing us to lead you, and thank you for uh, uh, just being the church that you are. Um, thank you. I mean, just, it happens in big and small ways all the time. You know, Rena this week was so gracious to organize an effort to get some supplies to people in need, and, and, um, and nobody had to ask her to do that. And that's just one example of, of how oft, often that sort of thing happens in this church, you know. Very little of the good and beautiful things that come out of this church happen because the leadership thought about it. It's usually you guys going, can I do this? And, and I'm going, yeah, absolutely do that. That's, that's a great idea. And, and, uh, and so it's, it's awesome. I, I love you guys for that. Um, so as we keep going in this series about a, a, a sometimes good, a mostly bad and ugly church uh, called the church at Corinth that Paul uh, uh, is writing a letter to, we're in the sixth chapter this week, and it's a weird chapter. It's, in fact, most people I think would have probably, and, and probably wisely so, uh, broke it up into two sermons um, because it's, it seems like two completely different topics. Uh, Paul addresses in this chapter the fact that the church, they're so divisive that they're beginning to sue each other in courts of law, and, and, then, and then also goes on to 
on a, a I was going to say tirade, but that's not really accurate. He just goes on a little talk about, um, about sex and sexuality and uh, sexual sin and that sort of thing. And, and so it seems like two completely different things. But it's, it's really, I think as, as we dive into it, you're going to find that um, it's really only two different examples of the one thing that he's trying to talk about. And so they are very much related, and we're going to dive into that. But we, I think a lot of us really struggle with the idea of being, like we, we, we read in the, in the Word a lot of statements that call us out as saints or as righteous or as holy or things like that. And for most of us, especially us living hopers, um, we're, we find those terms and those descriptors kind of uncomfortable. Um, like, I, I, you know, I'm, I'm a lot of things. I've been called a lot of things. Holy's never been one of them, right? And, um, and so we really have a hard time, like, how do we process that? Like, I know me, you know you, and, and we're not that great. And so, like, how do I make sense of the fact that God's view and Scripture's view of me seems to be way higher than my view of me, right? And, um, and so I think that's sort of what Paul's addressing. I mean, he's addressing some, some dysfunction that's going on in this church, but he's trying, to, he's trying to get them to see who they really are, that they're not who they think they are. And, and I think that's actually sums up a lot of the whole Christian journey, is us beginning to see ourselves the way that God sees us, that we're not who we think we are. And, um, and so let's kind of dive into this. I, I don't know. I'm, I'm still confused how I'm going to preach this. Um, it's, it's, I got a loose plan in my head, and that usually means I'm, I'm going to cuss or something. Something bad's going to go wrong, and, but we'll, we'll see. I'll try not to cuss. <laughs> so um, <laughs> start with uh, verse 1 of chapter 6, all right? Well, that was loud. Okay. It says, uh, Paul's, Paul's talking to the church in Corinth here. He says, when one of you has a grievance against another, does he dare to go before the unrighteous instead of saints? Um, or do you not know that the saints will judge the world? And if the world is to be judged by you, are you incompetent to try trivial cases? Do you not know that we're, we're to judge angels? How much more than... Uh, matters pertaining to this life. So if you have such cases, why do you lay them before those who have no standing in the church? He's talking about legal wrangling, legal squabbling that's going on between church members, and, and he's like, you know, he's referring to some Old Testament prophecies, I think from Daniel and some other places where, he's, where it says, you know, that God's going to incorporate us into the final judgment, that it'll be those who have been oppressed in this lifetime, those who have been put down in this lifetime, those who have been persecuted, the saints who have been persecuted in this lifetime, that in the age to come, we will actually be instrumental in partnering with God in the judgment of, of the world. Um, and that judgment is not like, look at us, we're going to put on our robes, and we're going to put on our powdered wig, and we're going to judge, and you know, and feel so high and mighty. It's not like that. It's more like our righteous living, our Christ-like living, will, will somehow be incorporated into the standard in which the rest of the world is judged, that they will be found guilty because there will be such a different scene between 
those who are faithful to Christ and those who are not. And, and so anyway, that's a whole separate sermon, but his whole concept here is like, you, you, guys, you guys have these issues with one another, and you're taking it before the law court and having them decide your, and especially back in this day when you're talking about Roman officials and Roman courts because they were notoriously just selfish and unfair and, and you know, whatever else. And, and he's like, why would you take your issues before them? The very people, it's kind of like that concept of that. Maybe some of you heard your parents say this at some point when things would get tense in your family and, and, and you know, if things started to leak out, it was like, hey, we don't air our dirty laundry, right? right? We, we keep this in the family. We'll deal with this in the family. And that's kind of Paul's point here. He's like, this, this community that you're trying to reach and draw into a relationship with Christ and you air your dirty laundry in front of them and you, you, you air out all your dysfunction why would they want to be a part of that, first of all? And why would you think that they could righteously judge you anyway? And so, so okay, that's where he's going. So verse 5, he says, I say this to your shame. Can it be that there is no one among you wise enough to settle a dispute between the brothers? But brother goes to law against brother, and that before unbelievers. To have lawsuits at all with one another is already a defeat for you. Let this next couple of phrases sink in. Why not rather suffer wrong? Why not rather be defrauded? But you yourselves wrong and defraud even your own brothers. So in Paul's mind, he's like, you guys are so concerned with, with uh, you know, your, getting your way, having your rights tried, you know, all this kind of stuff. He, he's like, it would be better for you to just humble yourself and just be wronged. Be defrauded. Because it's not worth you damaging the witness of Christ so that you can get your day in court. It's not, it, it, some, and I, we live in this society. I mean, we live in this kind of, you know, Jerry Springer society where, where everybody wants to, you don't know me and you can't judge me and, and, and all this kind of stuff. And, and, and we, want, we have this, this um, honestly kind of insane desire to have our rights, you know, and we get angry. We, some of us wear it as a badge of honor. You know, that's just the way I am. I don't let anybody walk all over me. You know what? Sometimes maybe, maybe it's okay to just be wronged for the sake of the witness of Christ. Maybe the right thing to do would be let the world see you process a wrong in a way that is loving and compassionate and forgiving. And I'm not saying that's easy. Every one of us in this room has probably been hurt and wronged in one way or another. But at times, maybe the best thing to do is to just go, if I, can't handle, if I can't resolve this with a conversation, a hard, maybe a harsh conversation, maybe a direct conversation, but if I can't resolve this with my Christian brother or my Christian sister that way, then maybe it's just best to let it go. Does anybody here ever, are you part of a family where, I mean, every family is this way, where there's just weird dysfunctional things. You know, it's, it's cause of spouses. You guys know that? It's cause of spouses. <laughs> Like, your, your family was okay, I and mean, that wasn't perfect. But then when, when your brothers and sisters start marrying husbands and wives, and they come in with all their weird ideas, and, and, and oh, I think we should have Christmas poppers, and whatever, and, and it's like, well, we don't do that. We, we, we just eat bacon on Christmas. That's all we do. <laughs> and so, like, like, it's all these spouses coming in with their influence and their ideas, and, and, and then it just starts getting kind of weird. And, and, but if, if, you're, if you're like me, you, and by the way, I love my brother's wives. They're, they're great. They're awesome. Uh, I, I'm talking about your families. And so, <laughs> and so 
But if, if you're like me, when those things come up, you just kind of look at each other and you go, you know what, just let it go. It's not worth it. I'd rather just keep the peace in the family. And because and, I, I, and our family kind of operates that way. We don't, we don't shove everything under the rug or anything like that. But, but there are certain things that we're like, you know what, I'd rather have a good relationship with my brother than to, be, than to win this argument. And, and so you just kind of, and, and that's kind of the environment that Paul's trying to promote in the context of a church. Like he's like, that bond of unity is way more important than you having your rights defended or whatever, you know? And so, now, let me, let me throw out a caveat here. When things, the church has gotten to trouble over the years of trying to handle things internally and not letting the courts get involved in issues that are criminal, in issues that are abusive, that sort of thing. And, and that's a different matter. That's a, we're talking about disunity, disagreements, things like that. When, it, when, we're, when you're talking about a criminal matter, like, like, like God forbid, like I, I hate that I'm even going to plant this little mind worm out there, but God forbid there was some sort of uh, abuse allegation within our church of, of kids or something like that. You can bank on the fact that we're not going to go, let's sit down and just kind of talk this through. No, no, no. Somebody's going to jail, and, and that's the way that's going down, right? Because, because we don't play around with that stuff. We love your kids too much to sweep that under the rug. And so I love every one of our leaders and all of our volunteers and everything like that. I'm telling you, somebody abuses one of the kids in this church, they're going down. That's the way we play that out, okay? Now, we'll forgive them, but we'll forgive them from jail. And, and that's, that's the way we do that, okay? Now, so, so, but Paul's not talking about that kind of thing, all right? Um, so, okay, so, that's, so that's, that's like part one of this chapter, okay? Now he, he kind of starts shifting to this next topic. And, um, and, and so in verse 9 he says, <coughs> Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Now, this is not an exhaustive list of sins. It's just Paul kind of going, you know, there's lots of different people who are, who are involved in unholy, unrighteous, unchristlike behavior that if they can't let that go and submit themselves to Christ and make him the Lord of their lives rather than making themselves the Lord of their own lives, then they don't get to inherit the kingdom of God. So I know, you know, we're, we're in 2017. None of you heard anything other than men who are homosexuals in that passage I just read. And so, but I don't think that was, I don't think that's Paul's emphasis in this chapter. I think he's just, he's listing these things that the Bible calls out as sin and it's not even about the sin. It's about people who will, who will worship themselves and worship their own desires, whatever those desires might be, versus submitting themselves to Christ and going, I'm going to trust that your plan for my life is better for me than my plan for my life. And a lot of different things can fall under that category. Okay, So don't try as best as you're able, even though I just made it even more difficult for you, to, to not like, do that. Okay? All right, so, and that's a whole different sermon that I'm not even going to preach today. Um, and he said, so he lists all these things, all these, all these kind of just, uh, you know, sinful lifestyle, sinful behavior, sinful attitudes that, that people can have. And then he says, and by the way, such were some of you. He's, he's, he's trying to get them to remember. You, you guys used to fall into these categories yourselves. 
He says, but you were washed, you were sanctified, which means you're, you're made Christ-like. You're, 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 you're kind of, you start your resurrection journey with Christ, right? You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of God. Now, that word justify is another legal term, and, and it's just Paul's way of saying it's the means, it's, it's, it's why you can be pronounced a child of God. And the reason is because of Jesus Christ, okay? So he's like, you're, you're washed, you're sanctified, you're justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of God. Here we go, verse 12. He says, all, now, this is a verse that a lot of you have heard quoted before that I think there's some depth to it that you may not have realized was there, okay? He says, all things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. And so I hear, I hear oftentimes a lot of Christians will, will quote that when, when we're talking about you know, uh, different kind of vices or, or exercising, Christian, exercising Christian freedoms and things like that. And when should you restrict your freedom? When should you exercise your freedom? And, and so all things are lawful, but not all things are helpful. And, and this is not so much Paul saying all things are lawful. What he's doing there is he's quoting what was a common phrase used in, in Roman and Corinthian culture. They would often say to kind of justify any behavior, hey, all things are lawful. And, and so he's quoting them, and he's going, all things are lawful, but not all things are beneficial, right? Not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, quoting them again, but I will not be dominated by anything. So he's kind of, he's, he's, he's drawn up a comparison between the culture in which they live and the culture in which they're being called to. Is, from a legal point of view, is it legal? Is it lawful? Yeah, okay, it is, but is it helpful? Is it... Uh, is it something that's going to dominate you if you're not careful? That's what the life you're called to. That's what you should be called to be thinking about. And so, so that's where he's going, okay? Then he quotes him again. He says, food is meant for the stomach and stomach for the food. And so it was another kind of common colloquialism there in, in their culture where, where they would say this. Food is meant for the stomach and stomach for the food. And they weren't always talking about food. It was their way of saying, it was kind of like if you heard, uh, you know, in our culture sometimes, you know, a dog will be a dog. You may have heard of that. You know usually, usually what that's referring to and that sort of thing. And if you don't, ask your mama. And, and, uh, and so, like, hey, a dog will be a dog. Uh, you know, the food is meant for the stomach. The stomach's meant for food. In other words, hey, I'm just doing what I was naturally designed to do, right? So that's where he's going. So he's quoting them, and he says, and guess what? God will destroy both one, or the, one and the other, which is really kind of a, it, it comes across so, so stale when you read it, but it's like, like, I heard somebody say once, which I just think is great, like, uh, you know, I, I don't remember, some pastor I was listening to, and he was talking about how, you know, talking to young men, and it's like, why are you dating that girl? You know she's not good for you. And yeah, but she's hot. And his response was, yeah, and so is hell, right? <laughs> and so, and so that's, kind of the, that's kind of the attitude that Paul's kind of, uh, you know, putting out here. He was like, food is meant for the stomach, stomach for the food? Yeah, and God will destroy both of them, by the way, right? And he says, the body's not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord, and the Lord for the body. And God raised the Lord and will also raise us up by his power. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? Never. Or do you not know that he who is joined to a prostitute becomes one body with her? For as it is written, the two become one flesh. But he who is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. Flee from sexual immorality. Flee. Everybody say the word flee. Flee. Flee from sexual immorality. Now, I'm just going to pause there for a second. I promise this is not a big sermon about, about 
uh, sexual sin. But when, when, we, when you hear the, that phrase, flee from sexual immorality, does that describe the way, I'm just going to ask, does that describe the way that you live your life? You know the culture that we live in. It's, it's, I mean, we're just bombarded by sex and sexual imagery and pornography and temptations and, and uh, you know, just everything. Some of, you, some of you, I know, I know, I know what happens. I know what happens because I've counseled it. Some of you are playing dangerous games on Facebook. You're married and you've started these little Facebook friendships with past flames. <laughs> You're a fool. You're a fool. Like, like some of you are playing with fire. Just ask yourself, flee sexual immorality. Is that, does, is that a description of the way I live my life? Am I fleeing or am I flirting? Am I fleeing it or am I flirting with it? Because I'm going to tell you, if you can play the game, well, I'm a mature adult and I can handle it and whatever, you know, whatever. Like, okay, I'll see you in counseling. I'll, I'll, I'll see you later. It's not going to go good for you. It's just not. Like, and here's the thing. Like some of you, you, you have these valuable things that you have, have purchased. You have, uh, you know, you, you've got a gun safe bigger than this room. I mean, you keep that locked up. You don't ever want fire to touch it and everything else. And you've got your jewelry in a, in a safe or locked down. You've got all these things and you know, you got an alarm on your house, an alarm on your car, and you, you, you just protect all of this thing just in case, right? You, you don't think a burglar's going to break into your house. You don't think a fire's going to come. You don't think any of that's going to But just in case, this stuff is so valuable to me, I want to make sure it's on lockdown, it's protected, nothing's going to happen to it. And how much more valuable is your stinking family? How much more valuable is your relationship with your spouse? How much more valuable is it that you get to see your kids every single day instead of once or twice a week? How much more valuable is that? And you play fast and loose with the most valuable things in your life because you think you're so mature. Okay, and maybe you are mature, but guess what? The world is full of Failed marriages and destroyed families who were led by people who thought they could handle it and they were mature. And if you think you, that's not you, you've got the biggest target on your back. The biggest target on your back. Flee. Sexual. Have you ever seen somebody flee? Like, like if you see somebody flee, start fleeing in the same direction they're fleeing. Something's going on, right? Like flee, run away. So he says, every other sin a person commits is outside the body, but the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own. You were bought with a price. When we talk about, as Christians, we've been redeemed, that's what that word redeemed means. It means you couldn't pay the price for your own sin, so Jesus stepped forward paid the price for you, and then looked at you and said, by the way, you belong to me now. That's what redeemed is. You are not your own, for you were bought with a price, so glorify God in your body. Now, so you've got this, he starts off with this teaching about these you know, legal squabblings and legal issues and, and things like that, and then he goes into this teaching about sexual immorality, and it's like, oh, where, where, what's the connection here? And this, this is the connection here. 
And this is what he's teaching in both of these things, that you're not who you think you are. You're not who you think you are. You think you've got an idea of who you are, but if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, when we talk about you being, being and becoming a new creation, that's not, those aren't just words. You're a new creation. You're, you're not the same person that you used to be. Yes, you were bought with a price. You belong to Christ and all of that. But things are different, and you cannot pretend that they're not different. You cannot go on just kind of casually living the life that you were living before and like inject a little Jesus into it once in a while. That's not the Christian life. Things are different now. So a, a couple of examples. When um, I was in my early 20s, I, I joined the Army. And one of the things that was so attractive to me about the Army was like, I wanted a different life. I, like, I, that was the reason I joined the Army. I, like, I, needed, I, I wanted to shake things up. I needed something different. And that seemed really, like, if you would have known me back then, I was the least Army person you'd ever met in your life. But it seemed, like, really different, and, and I felt like God was calling me into that to, to do ministry as a chaplain assistant and some things like that. And so, so I did that. But when we got to basic training, like, the whole first few, actually, most of basic training is about this, actually, if you've never been through it, you'd be surprised at how much time you just spend sitting in a class being taught things. And what you're being taught is you're not a civilian anymore. And the way you used to live your life does not work here. It's different now. And if you try to live that same civilian life and have that same civilian attitude, you're going to have a really difficult time in the army, really difficult time. And so it's all about the, t- them teaching in, in the army, we have this thing called respect, and we take it pretty seriously. And they're teaching you what it looks like to show respect. In the army, you know, used to you could call in sick whenever you felt like, or have your wife call in for you. You do that in the army, it's going to go really bad for you, really, really bad. So I mean, it's all these things that you thought you could do. You think you know who you are, and you wanted to join the army. Well, guess what? Now that you're here, you're a different person. You're a different person. And, and, and they train you so well, it sticks. I'm telling you, it sticks. Post-army, like I got facial hair now, but I still can't let this grow out for very long or I feel like a dirty hippie, right? And that's because a drill sergeant told me I was a dirty hippie, right? <laughs> so like I, it's just, some of that stuff just sticks with you like it's ingrained. Like I became a different person through that experience. And it wasn't like, oppressive to me. Like I said, I signed up because I wanted to be a different person. I wanted that difference in my life. I welcomed it, right? But they're like, now that you're here, you can't pretend you're not here. Things are different. And it was a good difference. I enjoyed that whole process. Okay, a little gentler example. Mowage. (laughs) That blessed arrangement. (laughs) Marriage. <laughs> Some of you um, try to do marriage as if you're single, and you suck at marriage. That's just the way that is, okay? Like, you, you're not good at marriage, because you're still trying to live marriage as if you're a single man or a single woman. Uh, like, you're, you're totally in control of you, and you're your own person, and, and whatever else. But the thing about marriage is, if marriage is going to work, you have to realize now that I've entered into this relationship with this woman or this man, things are different, and good different. You might mourn some of the things from your single life, you know, some of the, I won't go into all the details, but you might mourn some of that, but that 
It's good differences. It's blessings that is, it's, a, it's a blessing of a difference, right? But it's different. And there's, there's, such a, there's a reason that over and over throughout Scripture, Paul especially, uses the example of marriage to talk about our relationship with the Lord. Because it's that heavy. It's that big of a commitment. It is, it's a life changer. And, he's, and he, you know, earlier in, in that passage, he says, um, do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit? You're not your own. In another place in one of his writings, he's talking about marriage, maybe. Maybe, maybe he's talking about marriage. And he says to the wives and, and husbands, he's talking, about, he's talking to them about withholding sex from one another. He's like, don't do that. Wives, your body's not your own. That belongs to your husband. And likewise, husbands, don't do that to your wives. Your body belongs to your wife. You have given up some of that, that individuality because two have become one. And some of you are just trying to live as two. And marriage is not really going to work until you figure out how to make it one. So you, you, you give up, not because you're being oppressed. You give up because you're trying to become something and someone different. And so you, you give that up. It's the same thing in our relationship with God. When you enter into a relationship with Jesus Christ, you're not the same person you were. Things have changed. You're not breathing the same air. You're not part of the same kingdoms anymore. You're, not part, of the, you're part of the kingdom of God. And, and the rules are different. The, the, the expectations are different. The, the blessings are different. The, everything about it is different. That there should be, when you begin to follow Jesus Christ differences in your life. Some of them will be tangible right away, just your countenance oftentimes will change. People are like, well, why are, you know, you were like goth last week and now you're, you know, howdy doody, what's going on, right? Half of you don't know who howdy doody is, I'm sorry. And so, um, it's just, there, there will be those kinds of changes. There will be changes in the decisions that you make. There will be changes in your priorities. There'll be changes in the way that you just see how you walk through life. You're no longer going to church and then going to work and then going home. Instead, you are glorifying God in your church. You're glorifying God in your home. You're glorifying God in your place of work, at your school. Your whole world begins to have Christ at its center now. It's a major shift. Sometimes that shift comes on quickly for some of us, and sometimes it takes a lot, a lot of time for us to really kind of get it. And that's fine. It's all a journey. It's all a process for us. I'm not trying to beat you up or anything. But do not, you cannot, the, the, the Scripture doesn't allow you to. The Holy Spirit in your heart will not allow you to. You cannot continue to live your life in Jesus Christ as if it's not a life in Jesus Christ. There will be differences. And it's not you, it's not God saying, and I think this is the impression that some of us have when we like come to faith in Jesus because we get these mixed messages of, messages of, of grace is big and God forgives and everything else, but then there, there's all this you know, uh, Christ-like living that we got to think about. And it's almost that we, we have this impression that like God has opened up the door for us and he's like, I welcome you into my kingdom. And right in the threshold, he gives you this big list and he's like, but you're going to have to follow all these things. It's not like that. What God has done is he has woken you up from death 
to life. And what you don't realize is that that whole life that you celebrated and just wallowed in and everything else, that life, that thing that you called a life before was actually death. And God is inviting you into life. And the rules for life are different than the rules for death. It's a different world. It's a different world. And it's a beautiful world. I don't I don't follow by, like, like God lays out for us in Scripture what a, kind of what a blessed life looks like, what a, what a kingdom life looks like, what our behaviors will be, what our decision-making will be, what our attitudes will be. He kind of lays that out for us in Scripture. And I don't look at that as this long list of rules like, ugh, you know, like it's some sort of oppressive thing in my life. Instead, no, I look at that as, like God created me. He knows me better than I know me. He knows all of us better than we know ourselves. And if God says this is the path to our greatest joy and our greatest happiness, then I'm going to trust him that that's true. And guess what? Sometimes that path goes deeply against who I think I am. Sometimes that path goes deeply against the kind of person that I wish I could be at times. But that's just because I got death hanging on to me and trying to crawl its way back into my life. And I got to be willing to trust God for a beautiful, blessed, full, joyful life and let death just be done with. We're not who we think we are. Now, Paul used these kind of colloquial phrases where he was like, you know, I know you guys say to each other all the time this, but this is the truth on the other side of that. This is the flip side of that coin, right? I kind of want to do the same thing in, in, in our big point this morning. And so it's this. It's this. It's not you be you. If you're a disciple of Christ, it's you be God's. Like that, I hear that so, so much. You know, hey, you be you. Right? Who am I to judge? You know, whatever. Hey, you be you. And sometimes we're looking at people going, you be you. And it's like, and what we're really thinking is, that's horrible. That's going to go really bad for you. That's a really sinful, awful decision you're making. But hey, you be you, because I don't want to have an awkward conversation with you. You be you. But as a follower of Jesus Christ, we don't live the life of you be you. We be gods. <laughs> right? That's who we are. We are not our own anymore. Some of you thought you signed up for Christianity because you wanted to feel good. And you'll feel good sometimes. And sometimes life will hit and you won't feel so good. But you know what? To God be the glory. It is well with my soul. We'll just keep submitting to him. Now, here's, here's the thing. I understand that you have habits and um, parts of your life that will be painful to turn over to God. I'm not trying to minimize that. There are some of you that are in relationships right now that are just death hanging on to you. And for you to end that relationship and trust God for his best in your life is like trying to convince yourself that water is air and trying to breathe it. I'm not trying to minimize the difficulty of those decisions. What I want you to know is that when we say trust God for his best, 
the curse of death right now in your life that you're looking on as one of the most beautiful blessings in your life, it is a lie. And God really does have something better for you. Better. That we find God's best in obedience to him. That's not like, it's not always quick best. It's not always a fast solution. But God's best is there. When I follow God, when I'm obedient to him, when I live life as a child of God instead of a child of death, when I take his plans uh, for, because, you know, back to the squabbling, it, it feels so much better to drag someone into court and take them for everything. It feels so much better to get in someone's face and dominate over them. It feels so much better to defend yourself and, and whatever else. That feels great. But you know what? Maybe that path leads to death. It's leading you back into the death that God delivered you out of. Maybe if you followed his plan of love and forgiveness and compassion, truth, maybe you'd find life on the other side of that. Maybe you'd look back on that decision to follow life and go, I'm really, really glad I made that decision, even though it was difficult. When it comes to your romantic entanglements, the same thing. It's really easy just to kind of follow your heart. But life is not a Disney movie. It doesn't always work out. It doesn't always, I mean, it just doesn't, not everybody gets a crown and a beautiful gown at the end of your story. Some of you get you know, a relationship that down the road you're, you're, you're cursing yourself for allowing yourself to continue in that relationship because it was so contrary to God's will for your life. And maybe the best thing you can go to do is to let go of someone that you love. Let go of that person and then allow God to show you his best. And you know what? One of the things, I don't want to offer false hope or anything, but sometimes... Sometimes what happens is when you let go of that person that you love, after you've released them, God finds them and might bring them back into your life. Maybe, maybe not. I'm not, a, I'm not Cupid or anything, right? But I don't know what God's plan is for your life. I can look back on my own life and see how it worked out for me. Everybody's story is different, but this is what I know. When you trust God, when you obey him, when you embrace the fact that you are a new creation, that you're not your own, and you live life as if you're not your own, then you'll find God's best for your life. And it's, all, it's not always an easy path to get to his best, but it is a blessed path, the right path. I, there's so many decisions I've made over the years where I've trusted God that I can look back now and go, man, I was fighting with God during that situation. I was telling him that I knew better I'm so glad I followed him in that. So glad because now I can look and go, look at all that came out of, look at how God's blessed me. That's, that's so part of just maturing as a human being and maturing as a child of God. I have, all through my life, I've had these plans. I'm just planning, planning, planning for my future. And every time that I have submitted to God the plans I have and embraced the plans that he's had for me, his plans blow my plans out of the water. Like my, I look back and go, my plans were so small. They were so temporal. And what God had for me was so much better. So be God's in the way that you do relationships with friends, 
in the way that you do your romantic things, in the way that you do work, in the way that you do school, in the way that you parent, in the way that you're a husband or a wife. Do it God's way because there's a, he like he's the creator of the whole universe. He created you. He created every emotion that you have. He created all your idiosyncrasies. He created all your weird habits and, and, and your personality. He knows you better than you know yourself. And if you follow him, you'll find truly your best life. Truly. So submit yourself to him and follow him. Amen? All right. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Father, we love you and we love your word. And so help us to be your children, not just weird kids that hang around you, but actually your children. So help us to embrace what it is that you have for us. God, you have given us the family name of Jesus. And so help us to live up to that name. Help us to behave as if we belong to your family. Help us to like rearrange our thoughts and rearrange our attitudes and rearrange our desires to match the desires of you and of someone who belongs to your family. God, help us to stop playing faith. Help us to stop pretending that we love you and that we have made you the center of our life. God, help us to get real with ourselves. And, and would your Holy Spirit please just point out areas of our lives that we still have not submitted to you and give us the faith and the courage to submit those to you. God, for some of us in the room, I'm confident there are, they're, they're thinking of some really, really difficult decisions, life decisions that probably need to be made in order to, to truly live out their calling as a child of God. And God, for those that are quaking right now at the thought of making those really difficult changes, God, I pray that your Holy Spirit would just give them peace and comfort and courage and faith beyond faith that they've ever experienced before. God, let their desire for you be stronger than their desire for anything else. Transform us into something that looks like that. We love you. You're such a good God, and we give you praise this morning. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.